Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Welcome, bosses, to episode 75 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. 75, Kate. That means we're three quarters towards the way to your goal of 100 episodes. I know, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but I suspect we won't stop at 100. I don't want to make any promises either way, though. Well, you know what? Strike all that from the record. Strike it all. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I was going to ask, what do you think we're going to do at 100? But I don't apparently know. nothing. We'll just keep going. <laughs> Before we kick off today's episode, we do need to make a couple of quick announcements. I'm going to make one, you're going to make one, and then we'll kick off into it, hey? So the first thing is I've had a couple of conversations with some people out there who love the show, get great value out of it, but otherwise don't really have a need for our services, but do want to support us in this quest for making well, 75 to 100 episodes of the podcast. So we have set up a Patreon for the podcast, just for the podcast. So for those who don't know, Patreon is basically sort of a fan-based platform where you can support creators all across the internet, and now including us. So you can head over there. It's patreon.com slash presentation boss, and you'll see some options there for how you can support us either as a once-off or as an ongoing monthly thing. So if you like what we're creating here and you're getting some great value out of the content, the tools, the techniques that we're sharing, then uh, by all means, share it with your friends and your family and all that. But if you would like to support us as well, uh, there's now an option on Patreon. And we will look in future at having some extra perks there for people who support us as well. Actually, there's definitely some extra content over there. So if you go and become a patron of the show, there's already a long cut of the last episode we did. So the Scott Stratton episode, I just left in a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stories that we talked about before and after the show. So uh, just a little bit of extra content there. And yeah, if you go and become a Patreon, uh, you will get access to all of that extra content. And the second one is we've been talking about doing this for a little while we finally set up a Facebook group for the presentation bosses. So in that group, there'll be some extra content, of course, a little bit more interaction with us and of course, being a part of the community. So if you want to keep improving your presentation skills, jump over to Facebook, search for presentation bosses and join us to keep the conversation going. Yep. So links to both of those are down in the show notes for both Patreon support and for our Facebook group. So if you hear us mention these in future episodes, because we like engaging with you guys and continuing to be able to bring you some great content. All right. Why don't we get stuck into the content for today? All right. Today we are talking about data storytelling, and this is one that I've had written down to do an episode on for a little while. I've been a bit hesitant to do it because it really is quite a visual thing, but we're going to attempt to talk about it today and talk about one of the ways that we can use PowerPoint to do our data storytelling. So I guess we'll start by asking and answering the question, what is data storytelling? And maybe why do we need it at all? Yeah. So data storytelling is basically a mix between data visualization and presentation skills. And having data storytelling skills are really important um, for anybody who's presenting any sort of numbers or data um, for a couple of reasons, really. So if you've got any sort of software that creates graphs and charts and all of those sorts of things, and there's so many of those tools out there now, literally anyone can create graphs and charts, whether that's Excel, Power BI, Tableau, there's a million programs that can do it for you. The problem is, just like Microsoft Word is not going to write a book for you, these DataViz software packages are not going to tell a story for you. So you actually need that human storytelling aspect there. You still need the presentation skills to go with it, right? Absolutely. 
And in this day and age, we've got more and more data and having more data doesn't make it easier to communicate. It actually makes it harder. And it's a really important skill to be able to really hone in on what is important and imperative to what you want to communicate. And the problem is if you don't have the data storytelling skills, then the most interesting insights, the most valuable data sets can be made not just uninteresting, but completely impossible to understand. And I think there's a small part of the population probably do find straight up numbers data interesting, but I think the vast majority of people do not. Uh, and often that the numbers just don't make sense outside of the context of the story that they tell or that they can tell. Absolutely. And something that we hear sometimes, especially from people who are so immersed in their data, they really, they know exactly that in the world of analysis or, you know, even like if you're in HR, then you, you're working with numbers, you know, every department these days works with numbers. And a lot of people can think that numbers speak for themselves, but they absolutely do not speak for themselves. I remember in high school, um, so, you know, when I was like 15, 16, right? And this was in, I think it was English class. And I cannot for the life of me remember what the assignment was or what I spoke about. But I can remember another kid giving a presentation. And I think he was talking about the new hooning laws, like not driving like a lunatic on the road. Some new laws had come in. And so he'd been talking about this. And then partway through his presentation, he had a slide on the sort of crappy old TV that was in the corner. And he said, hooning contributes to 5% of car accidents. Paused for dramatic effect and then moved on. And I remember sitting there thinking, and still to this day, I don't know <laughs> if he thought 5% was really, really high, therefore the laws were important, or really, really low, and therefore the laws were going too far. I don't know, because well, I don't know if 5% is high or low. I feel like the way that you've just said it, like he's presented it like 5% is really high, but like 5% doesn't sound just, very high. He just presented it like it was a startling <laughs> fact. And I think like if we just had a bit of context that was maybe, I'm going to make some numbers up here, was maybe uh, not wearing a seatbelt contributes to 20% of accidents and drink driving contributes to 3%. Well, I can see then that hooning contributes to a significant, like this is a significant amount. It's not the worst, but this is something that maybe we need some regulation around. But all of that context was missing. I just had contributes to 5% dramatic pause. And that is a classic case of someone believing that numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. Also, he was like 15 or 16, but <laughs> it stuck with me. And we see this all the time, even in a professional sense. Well, I'm going to take us to a more recent example. And I don't feel great about using this example, but it's like everyone can relate to it. <laughs> I don't feel great, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's it. We're going to talk about coronavirus. When we first heard about it in kind of March um, was when I started to become really aware of it. The number that I heard was that 1% of people who contract the virus will die from it. It's got a 1% mortality rate. Again, I'm just kind of being a bit loose with numbers here. And I remember thinking 1%, that doesn't seem very high. Like it doesn't seem like a particularly significant thing, really? especially I mean, the context that I have is um, I had a family member who died from um, a cancer that had like a 95% mortality rate. So 1% is looking pretty good now, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the context that I have. Yet I heard 1% and thought, oh, that's, that's not good. That's high. That's it. We've got two completely different interpretations here. Yeah. But then the next thing that I heard was that the flu kills 0.1%. Again, I think I'm being loose with numbers, but 
And now it makes a lot of sense because the flu we know just from kind of general context is pretty bad and it kills a lot of vulnerable people each year. And coronavirus is about 10 times worse. So now it's really like starting to understand the significance of that number. And this is just using like other numbers for context. This is before we even add storytelling properly to it. Yeah. So the point in all of this is that numbers in themselves are not enough. They do not speak for themselves. So let's go through then one of the ways that we can use PowerPoint really effectively to tell a data story. There's a heap of ways that you can tell a data story today. We're just really going to focus on how you can use PowerPoint really effectively. So we will get into a, we'll talk through an example of a line chart and a bar chart. There's sort of three things that we're trying to achieve when we're presenting a data story. First thing I want to talk about is uh, controlling eye gaze, as it's sometimes called, or controlling wonder, which is controlling what it is the audience is wondering about. Often I see in presentations, folks will have a really nice chart or graph that displays what it is that they're talking about. And I'm sure you've seen them as well. This is a chart that has a lot of data behind it. It might be, you know, a complex line chart or a lot of bars um, with, you know, like a legend and some colors and stuff going on. And it sort of in one click comes up on the screen, and which means you've immediately got all of your audience is potentially looking at a different thing on the screen at that time. There's a lot of information. It's It sometimes can become almost overwhelming, but there's a lot of information and it's difficult to control where people are looking and what about that chart they are wondering about in that moment. That's it. And if you're presenting this and you put something up on the screen that takes effort to actually interpret, their entire mental energy is going to go into looking at that chart, making up their own story, making up their own conclusions. <laughs> and I can guarantee they're not listening to you. And they're probably coming up with their own ideas about what it is that you're actually presenting. So instead, we want to control where their eyes are looking. We want to control how much information is being given to them at a time. It's a bit like if you came to me and said, I'm thirsty, and I poured a bucket of water over your head. Like, that's not going to, that rate of delivery is not okay. Whereas if I gave you, like, a cup of water, and then I gave you another cup of water. Like I like that. Controlling that rate at which the information comes at your audience. Mm. So the second thing that you really want to do is control the narrative. And if you've listened to any of our episodes, we really advocate for having a really strong structure for our presentations. And presenting data is no different. Whether, you're to whether we're talking about a story, a structure, they're all essentially the same thing. Hmm. A story is a type of structure. And then stories can have their own subset of structures as well. Anyway, let's not get too far into that. Let's keep it simple, silly. <laughs> <laughs> but what you're aiming to do is make sure that you are staying within your structure because you've put a lot of time and effort into working out how you walk through your information. And you want to make sure that you're in control of that because what sometimes happens is if you don't make sense, if you're not constantly building upon what you've already said, that's when people start asking questions. That's when you start to get derailed when someone asks for clarification, asks for background asks for something completely irrelevant to what you're talking about. But that's how we lose control if we're not building on what we've just said, if we're not making sense to our audience. So what we want to do is make sure that we make sense and that we are going through our information in a controlled, logical format. I think the important thing when you're presenting data is that your audience doesn't get to the end of the presentation and sort of go, hmm, that was very good. Uh, so what? I think hmm. there needs to be communicated there with that story with that structure some sort of change over time and when we talk about stories we talk about the best stories do display a change over time mm. 
So I guess, Kate, like, is there a structure we can use to display change over time when we're telling a data story? Yeah, so a very simple one that works in a lot of cases, not all, but a lot of cases, is a three-act story, which is past, present, future. So the past being, what is the context? Is there any background, any understanding that you need to give first to make sure that the rest of your story is going to make sense? Then the middle bit, the second act, is kind of where we're at now, what's happened. And this is where the bulk of your actual data will sit, generally, and where your charts, your graphs actually kind of fit in, because often this is kind of what's changed and what's happening at the moment. And then the third act is the future, what we expect to happen, what we believe should happen, any action that needs to be taken, projections, forecasts, all of that sort of thing. And that does work really nicely, past, present, future. Context, situation, projection. And using this structure as well really helps you to sort out what does go in and out of each of those sections. If you've got a heap of information, this is one way that you can start sorting all of that. You start putting it into buckets. And if you've got three buckets of data or information, it just helps to sort that in your head a little bit as well. Makes that decision-making process easier. Totally. It feels like if you have clear in your mind what the situation is, what the forecast is, what those actions are that need to be taken. It removes the audience sitting there going, "Mm, now what? Mm. It's clear what is happening and or needs to happen. That's right. And the third thing, Kate, is... To build some sort of emotion. You want to make people feel something, which numbers alone just don't do. But if you take them through a story you can actually kind of control a little bit how they feel. So you might be able to build in some anticipation. I assume you're not going to try and make people cry with your data, but it's just about making them feel something about these numbers that gives it all a little bit of context. Yeah. Like, is 5% high or low? There's a good place to start. I'm concerned about this. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a really great example of this is Steve Jobs with the launch of the Apple iPhone. Yeah, good one. At the time, this was hugely new. And what he could have done was come out on stage and go, this is the iPhone, look at everything that it can do. Now let me tell you about all the features, benefits, all of those sorts of things. That's not what he did. (laughs) No, but what he did do was come out and he started to tell us the background, where we used to be in terms of technology, and then where we are today. And then he started talking about the possibilities of the future. And what was, he had like three things. Yeah, so I think the three things were a revolutionary new phone, a new way of surfing the internet, and an MP3 player. Yeah, so there was this anticipation, so the audience is feeling anticipation. I mean, it was a phone, but he managed to make the audience feel something. Especially because he said they were introducing three new products, and those were the three new products. And Ah. then it sort of became this idea of, And then he sort of hinted that it's actually one thing. People are like, whoa, that's really cool. Yeah. And then at the end, he finally unveiled the iPhone. He turned it on and we saw scrolling for the first (laughs) time. (laughs) How do we go down the list? Scroll. But this is a really classic example of how you can make your audience feel quite a strong emotion. If you're just presenting, say, monthly reports monthly results or something like that, then maybe you won't get that same awe-inspiring anticipation. anticipation. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can't make your audience feel something because if you've got an executive, if you've got a team, they're going to care about something and you can use that and leverage that emotion. Yeah, it's really just about making it interesting and digestible and understandable for your audience. Yeah. 
So then I guess we go into how do we use PowerPoint as a really powerful tool to do these three things, to control that eye gaze, to control the narrative and to build the emotion. So first of all, you need to go back and listen to our episode on choosing the right chart and how to make your charts as (laughs) not overwhelming as possible. But let's say we've got a nice line chart. The example we're going to use is called podcast listeners in 2019. Yeah. Okay. So down the bottom, we've got January, February, March through to December, 12 months of 2019. And then the line chart moves up and down, picking our y-axis of number of hundred of listeners per month. You can visualize that. Yep. So oftentimes what we'll do, we'll just put this entire graph up on the screen. And then what happens with your audience is they start looking at all the movements in the chart and they see that maybe March had a little bit of a dip. They see that September had a big increase and they start making things up in their mind. They start going, what happened in March? Something happened in March that made our listenership go down. Something happened in September that made it go up. I bet it was this. I think it could be this. But the point is, is all of that cognitive energy is going into trying to work out the data, interpret it, make their own story. When you actually, as the data analyst, might have the exact right answer and you know exactly what's happened over the year and you want to slowly introduce that. Yeah, so when we dump that chart in one click, just click, there it is. We're not controlling eye gaze because like you say, they can look anywhere. Mm -hmm. We're not controlling the narrative because they're thinking whatever they want to think. And there's no emotion being built. It's just a line chart. That's it, because you've given the answer. And what I mean by the answer is like, you know exactly where December lands. Like we see where January starts and we see where December lands. There's no anticipation. There's no like lead up to what happened over the year. So then what do we do instead? The way that I would approach this is we've got our three-act structure. So we talked about the background, the current, and then the future. So we're going to look at the background. So you might start with a completely blank graph. So you'd still have maybe January all the way to December down the bottom, but the rest would be blank, completely blank. You don't have your line there yet. And this is where you start to give some background of, uh, we've got a chart here talking about 2019. So maybe we talk about 2018, say, uh, this is not our podcast. This is just completely dummy numbers, by the way. We launched our podcast in 2018 and we've consistently had about 300 listens per episode, which for a niche like ours, we're not particularly happy with. So we decided then that we wanted to introduce some sort of strategy to increase our listenership for our podcast. So that's the background. That's kind of your, that's that past that we're talking about, the context. Then we can move on to the current situation or what's happening now. Yeah, so let's look at the data presentation of this and how we would actually make it work in PowerPoint or really any slide design software. Instead of dumping up the full line chart in one go, so let's say we're going to start by talking about here's what happened in January, February, March. So onto the blank chart that we had, you'll put up whatever January, February, March was. So that short line of just those three months pops up. Exactly. And that's all we're focusing on. You're controlling exactly what people are looking on the start of the year. And, you know, you'll make whatever correlations there are that look like it carried on from the previous year. So we'll talk about those three months and then we'll talk about maybe the next quarter, April, May, June. And we'll add in on top of the first three months line, the next line as well. So we're building this 12 month line chart a quarter at a time. So then we do... July, August, September, talk about that. Animate in October, November, December, talk about that. So we've really 
built this chart, but we're able to add the context and control the narrative around it as we sort of drip feed in that information. So it's like handing the cups rather than the bucket over the head. Yeah. So we talk about doing it in quarters, but there might be something significant going on. If you've got a significant drop in the line or a rise in the line, if there's something there, then that's the piece that you might break it up by. It doesn't yeah. really matter. You can slice and dice it wherever's most useful. Yeah. So how do we actually animate piece by piece in? Now you can do some stuff with animation in PowerPoint or whatever program. I find the easiest way, because it works across all platforms and it's super easy, is a process called slide stacking, which effectively is every time you click the clicker, instead of actually adding something to the slide, it's a brand new slide. Now slide to slide, the axes and the graph looks the same, but each time it's just got that new piece of the line chart comes on in. So for the example, the first slide would just be the blank chart with the axes where we talk about the past. The next slide will be exact same axes, title, all that, but just the first three months of the line chart. The next slide will have six months of the line chart. The third slide will have nine months and then the fourth slide, 12 months. It's called slide stacking. So every time you click, it looks like just a piece of the line has appeared, but really it's a full slide has changed. So given that most people these days know how to do animations and make things pop up bit by bit, why would you make each one a different slide rather than having animations and have it all on one big slide? Because it's much easier as a presenter. When you're in PowerPoint or your program, you can see all of the slide thumbnails down the left-hand side, or you can scroll through your slides really quickly in the, in the sort of build view you can see it really clearly, what each slide is and what's going to happen. When you jump into presenter view and you've got your presenter notes alongside the slides, you can actually have individual notes for each slide. You can't have individual notes per animation. So the fact that you have five slides gives you five opportunities to delineate out exactly what I'm going to talk about with each click. So just to clarify here, We've got five slides essentially, but it looks like one slide at exactly. the end. Exactly, it looks like one slide. So we've talked previously about how a slide count is not necessarily a useful limitation or metric to measure a deck by. And if you've got five slides that look like one slide, well, it's gonna be exceptionally hard to count if you can't see behind the scenes anyway. I have seen someone use animations and it's been in the wrong order. So the wrong oh, yeah. thing pops up at the wrong time. So I think Man, the I've slide- done that. <laughs> yeah. The slide stacking makes a lot more sense then because you can really make sure then that things are going to go in the right order. Yeah, absolutely. And even in PowerPoint, if you whip out the animation pane and it numbers everything on screen, it's just not as easy to see as if you've just got all the thumbnails there and you can really clearly see that they're in the right order. And of course, you get to add in your presenter notes as well. I think it's easier to design and I think it's easier as a presenter, even though it results in a few more slides technically in your deck. And I think as well, if you're using Canva for your presentations, the animations in that kind of don't exist. And it's actually pretty clunky for data presentation. If you find yourself using a program like Canva, you have to slide stack. Yeah, because you can't actually animate individually in. But the other issue, and I found this with Canva before, if you try and do any sort of fancy transitions between your slides, mm. they kind of bounce. So it does look like it's a separate slide. You can kind of see behind the scenes a little bit. So I would kind of tend to push people towards PowerPoint if you're doing something like that. Because Canva is just a little bit more artsy, I guess. It's not as good for data, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not the weapon of choice for data, that's for sure. Yeah. Just some overarching advice here. 
I would not advertise how many slides you have in your pack because if you have, say, 100, but it essentially looks like maybe six, you've just got a heap of them stacked and coming in piece by piece, it can be a bit off-putting because, as we say, the number of slides does not matter. So I'm going to loop back to please don't ever number your slides. Like, put a little yeah. number down in the corner. It's like slide you know, 23 of 96. People don't need to know. They're just following along with the data and the storytelling uh, that you're presenting. So to summarize, numbers are not going to speak for themselves. Data is not actually going to tell its own story as much as these fancy programs like to make us think. There does need to be that human element of storytelling behind it. And using this slide stacking method, you can definitely control what people see and just introduce them to the data piece by piece. And it means that you can stay on top of and really control that story, control that narrative that you're trying to get across and just give them that background, that middle, that future piece by piece. And this also allows you to keep that emotion in check and to build that emotion, maybe create some suspense, some anticipation, because you're not giving them everything straight up at once. You're leaving some stuff for the end. You're not showing exactly how their data ends up at the end. It's just being introduced slowly and drip fed. So I hope you found some insight into this episode, controlling your data storytelling and presenting that on PowerPoint. If you think it'll be of value to somebody you know, please do share the episode. But if you have some questions or want to get involved a little bit more, don't forget we do have our Facebook group. Jump onto Facebook, search for Presentation Bosses. Or if you really like our work, you can support us on Patreon as well. And a reminder that all of those links are down below in the description, the show notes, whatever you want to call it, down below the episode. Otherwise, bosses, you will hear from us next week with a speech breakdown. It's a little bit of a special one, so you don't want to miss it. Chat to you then. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you have any other topics you'd like us to discuss, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. And search for presentation bosses. All right, say that with confidence next time.